0: Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Happy Father's Day. Two of my three kids have reached out to me, and... Uh, Wish me happy Father's Day so the other one is dead to me at the moment. (laughs) I'm just totally kidding. I am totally, totally joking. Um, But again, happy Father's Day. You know, I have to give this shout out for my wife, Fran, whose maiden name was Pachoni. She's full-blood Italian. This is extremely important. I know that today is Father's Day, but National Cannoli Day was June the 16th, and I just have to share that on my wife's behalf. Amen to that. Hey, listen, this morning's message is entitled Upside Down Living, The Golden Rule. And again, happy Father's Day to all of the dads. Now, with this in mind, um, we've got some gifts for the guys in the back as you exit. As you exit the sanctuary on the left side of the foyer, there's some golden candy. Because we're going to take a look at the golden rule. will be part of the sermon. But the other thing is there's a tape measure there that's a golden tape measure. I've got mine here. Let me just kind of grab it. So this is uh, a 25-foot tape measure. It's actually a Stanley. It's not really gold, but gold enough. And um, we were going to get each one of you guys one of these. It was too expensive. So we've got a little three-foot one (laughs) as you exit. And you'll get that as you leave. Now, the idea is, is that the golden rule has the idea, and we're going to learn about this this morning, about do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How that's used in our culture is not what Jesus meant. We're going to learn that in a moment. But with that in mind, I have a few quotes about the measure of a man, the measure of a man. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. J.K. Rowling's re-brought kind of back, made this following statement famous again. If you want to see the true measure of a man, watch how he treats his inferiors, not his equals. Samuel Johnson, who was a famous literary uh, hero in England in the 1700s, wrote, The true measure of a man is how he treats someone who can do him absolutely no good. And then Plato said, The measure of a man is what he does with power. The measure of a man. The golden rule. What we're going to do now is we're going to take a look at the Lord's Prayer And I do want us to stand again, sorry for all the Christian calisthenics this morning, but if we would stand together and we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. We do this every single Sunday morning because last year we took a whole year to look at the kingdom of God. This year we're looking at the kingdom of God. How do you live in it? And the Lord's Prayer is known by some of us who are from the high church as the Our Father. So I would like that to keep, let's keep that in mind The idea of our Father is we pray this prayer out loud as we do every Sunday. This then is how you should pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Turn, give someone a fist bump, high five, hug, or a handshake. And then you may be seated. You can go ahead and be seated. It's interesting to note, and we've talked about this before, but the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that Jesus preaches to teach people how to live in his kingdom, there's a literary structure through which the Sermon on the Mount is written. And what sits at the center of that structure is the Lord's Prayer. What sits at the center of the Lord's Prayer is forgiveness. Forgiveness is central to following Jesus in kingdom living. And what I want to do this morning, and admittedly I'm doing this a little bit selfishly, but what I want to have happen now is I'm going to ask that every man in this sanctuary would stand and join me. Please stand. Your legs will be exhausted by the end of the day. (laughs) This week, we were supposed to have City Church. We have a bunch of summer gatherings planned. I hope you engage with as many as you can. But this past Friday night, we were supposed to have City Church at the Tom Sox game. There are several friends of mine, there are three friends of mine who I asked if they would meet me at church here to help me prep, and we had the church truck filled. We were ready to take everything over to Charlottesville High School, and the torrential rain began. And then I got a text. The game had been canceled. During that deluge, two of us were sitting having a conversation. And one of the men, who are, who's a part of city and a dear friend of mine, told me the following story. It was very powerful. He told the story about how he had lived for himself and then he came to Jesus. And then after coming to Jesus, he participated in what was known as the Million Man March in Washington, D.C., And as part of that march, the leadership of the Million Man March asked every man to kneel. So a million men knelt. And if I remember the challenge properly, it was that each one of them were asked to take out a picture of their family and to hold it. And then hold that and ask God to bring forgiveness and reconciliation. He said that event completely transformed his life. It changed him, that moment. And so what I'm going to ask that we would do together, men, is that if you would close your eyes and if you would take out a mental picture of your family, and if you would hold your hands out in front of you as you hold that mental picture in your soul, Jesus, I thank you that I'm a dad. But Lord, I know I was far from being the perfect father. I pray that you would forgive me for those times when I was not the dad I should have been, and when I lived for myself. Lord, I pray that you would put forgiveness in the hearts of my family that they would find the forgiveness to forgive me. Lord, also I thank you for the forgiveness that you shower on every man that's standing from the youngest to the oldest. Lord, that we would be men who would know what forgiveness looks like and we would offer it freely because you give it freely to all who would ask. Now, Lord, in my mind, I hold the mental picture of the family in which I was raised Lord, for some of us, that picture is not positive, and we've held things in our hearts for many years. And so, Lord, I pray that forgiveness would flow in and through every man that's standing. If the family we are the dad of or our family of origin, Lord, I pray that there would be forgiveness and healing and wholeness. Lord, grant that. Lord, in this moment, I pray that we would set things at the feet of the cross and that, Jesus, we would humble ourselves into the Lord's prayer and that we would forgive others as we're forgiven. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. The text for this morning... Is Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. Here's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, the golden rule. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Then we move towards the first of several warnings that Jesus brings at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the first one, the narrow and wide gates. Jesus goes on to say, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. That's the place where you don't want to be. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. The golden rule that Jesus brings is found in Matthew 7, 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. By the way, the law and the prophets is the entire Older Testament. Now when we hear that phrase, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, we think of the golden rule. And here's a golden rule picture. But you know what's interesting to note? Is that when we hear the golden rule usually stated, you are the center of it. Do to others what you would have them do to you. In other words, you determine what's right or wrong. You probably don't know this, but when we have just already talked about the measure of a man, at the time of Jesus there was a new philosophy that was taking root. And the philosophy began about 300 years before Jesus, where a Greek philosopher announced that man is the measure of all things. And by that, they meant man was to determine what is right and wrong. And man was to determine the good life, not the gods or God. Now, what you might not know is is that that took the shape of what's called Hellenism. And at the time of Jesus, Hellenism came onto the scene full bore. Jesus was one of the first Jewish generations to ever face Hellenism where the announcement was man is the measure of all things. It's not what's the measure of a man. It is that man is the measure of all things. Man determines what is right and wrong, and man determines what's the good life. And so please know that when Jesus gets up front, and in the Sermon on the Mount, he announces, do to others what you would have them do to you. He is not picturing you as the center of it. And here's why we know this to be true, because he follows it up by saying, for this sums up the law and the prophets. In other words, as Jesus' followers, as people in the kingdom of God, I am not the measure of all things. Jesus is. And I can promise you that if you live by the golden rule, you won't live it right in the eyes of Jesus if you do it with yourself as the center. You see, the golden rule is Jesus' call to action from the Sermon on the Mount here's what I know. As I have really lived into the Sermon on the Mount, it's been incredibly uncomfortable. That's why we call it the upside-down kingdom. Because if you've been living in the kingdoms of this world, and then you follow Jesus into his kingdom, his kingdom feels completely upside-down to this one. Here's why in the Sermon on the Mount, we're called to be generous. In this kingdom, you do everything for yourself to get ahead for yourself. In this kingdom, you serve others and you promote others and you don't care who gets the glory. That's the kingdom that's built through the Sermon on the Mount. And so if I live by the golden rule with me as the center, I can promise you I will never extend what I'm called to extend. And here's why. Because I will be generous to people that I know will be stingy back so I'm not going to do it. I will forgive people that will never forgive me, so I'm not going to do it. I'm only going to forgive you if you forgive me. But that's not how the kingdom works. You see, the kingdom of God works to where we're called to follow Jesus into his kingdom. And when I do, I'm called to live a life I would never live if I'm the center of my own life. If he's at the center, I'm going to live a categorically different life than the one that I would live with me at the center. Because here's why. Oftentimes with forgiveness, if it wasn't for Jesus, no way, Jose. I live in a world and I see a kingdom every day that says your rights, get it for yourself. There's a limited amount of the pie. Get all you can for you. And if you don't do that, you'll never be whatever. And Jesus shows up and goes, nope, giving, serving, forgiving, loving even your enemies. That's the kingdom of Jesus. So the idea then is, When we look at the golden rule, what Jesus is not saying is you're at the center of it. What he is saying is look in the rearview mirror over the entire Sermon on the Mount because this is near the end of the Sermon on the Mount. You look back over the sermon and you say, am I living that? Is that what I'm living? Now, earlier than normal in this sermon, we're going to put feet to your faith. And again, this message is for men, but it can be taken in by anyone. But again, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, Jesus gives the first of several warnings after he's talked about doing unto others as you would have them do to you by living through the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what the text says. Matthew 7, 13 through 14. The narrow and wide gates... Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to what? You don't want to go there. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, one Greek word for small, and narrow the road. That's a different Greek word. Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. You see, the idea is Jesus now, in his first warning at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, sets up narrow versus wide. He says, Narrow, it'll bring you to life, wide, destruction. And having really studied this this week, I saw something I had never seen before, and it's really helped me understand this idea of wide and narrow. And here we go. It's really interesting to note that there is a wide gate and a wide road. A small gate and a narrow road. The point is the road, not the gate. Whatever road you're on determines which gate you go into. And everyone at Jesus' day knew exactly what he was talking about. And here it is If you ever go visit Israel, you will go to Jerusalem, and there are gates in the ancient city walls. Some of them are extremely wide, but some of them come off very windy, narrow paths, and those gates are much smaller. They're tight. In other words, you don't need to defend those as much. The wide gates, you gotta be careful. The narrow gates, and in some ancient cities at the time of Jesus, literally only one person at a time can get through the narrow gate. It's a form of defense. But the road leading to it's narrow as well. And here's what I think Jesus is actually getting at is this, that the broad road, and I want us to catch this, you don't even need to think about being on it. Just go with culture. Do whatever society does. Just close your eyes. Don't think. Just go. Just put one foot in front of the other and you will be on a wide, broad road. It seems very easy to walk on most of the time, but when you end up at the end of that road, you will stand in front of a broad gate and Jesus says it's destruction to be on the narrow path the narrow road, you have to think. You have to pay attention. To stay on a narrow winding path, it takes alertness, it takes intentionality, it takes focus, it takes concentration. And that's how the kingdom of God is. And you want to know why? You are native to the broad path. You're native there. It's easy to be on the broad path. But when you get on the narrow path, it takes focus, intentionality, thought, and process. It really does. So, the question would have to be, and it's the case for my own life, and I've shared this before, I pray the Lord's Prayer every single morning before I put my feet to the floor. Why? It's the prayer of the kingdom of God. And before I get out of bed, and I've done this for years, I pray the Lord's Prayer. And when I'm done, I put my feet to the floor, and through that prayer, I trust that God is going to lead my life. That to me, though, is just the first step on the narrow path because throughout the day, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, through the infilling of the Holy Spirit, through the sense of God's leading, I find myself oftentimes doing things that in the natural I would not do. The idea here, though, is Jesus says that if you close your eyes and just blindly do life, you will end up on the wide path and you'll end up in front of a gate that is huge, and almost everyone's on that road. Now, what's interesting to note, and again, I've never seen this before, is that the word for narrow in Greek, small gate, narrow road. If you look up that word for narrow, it's very similar to the word persecuted and pressured. Narrow, squeezed, confined, pressure from the outside. I have felt that as a Jesus follower, and so have you. You know what it's like to follow Jesus and feel pressure to get on the broad road. But what Jesus is clearly teaching is that the narrow path leads to the narrow or the small gate, and the small gate has life. The other gate, easy. Don't think about it, just flow and go, but it ends in destruction. When I think about the golden rule, and I think about my own dad for Father's Day, my dad taught me and my two older brothers carpentry. And if you've ever been around a carpenter, they all have a saying, my dad was a very skilled carpenter. Me, not so much. Him, really good at it. My dad was incredibly what he would call wise with his money. My brothers and I said he was unbelievably cheap. There's a difference. My dad was so tight with his money that whenever we tore down an old building on our farm, we had to pull every single nail, every nail, and we had to straighten every nail. We literally, in one summer, straightened almost a five-gallon bucket of nails. And I mean, we we'd just put them on the concrete, hammer them out. My dad would say, why would I buy good nail, nails, when you, new nails, when you can straighten the bad ones? That's how it's going to work. Every piece of wood, he would examine it. He would cut out the bad stuff and stockpile the good stuff. Every last one of them. But my dad had a saying because he was cheap, and it was this. (laughs) Measure once. There we go. You know it. It's you measure twice and you cut once. You think twice, you act once. You think twice twice. You act once, because my dad was cheap, and he did not want to have two by fours cut at the wrong length, because he'd have to buy new ones. He didn't like that at all. Jesus is saying something very, very similar. To be on the narrow road, you've got to think, you pray, you focus, because this path is not natural or native. It can become that over time, but at the beginning, it doesn't feel that way. The other thing that I think about with my dad was on the farm, we had a list of chores that were a mile long. And I remember my dad put me in charge of a chore once, and that was to cut some firewood. And on the farm, we inherited these very large saws. They were about eight feet long. Some were shorter, about six feet. The eight-footer, you'd have a man on either end, and there was a handle, and you would put the log in a very specific type of a sawhorse, and each guy would get in rhythm on either side, and you'd cut the log. Well, I was put in charge of cutting some of the smaller logs... And I was using the large saw. My dad said, I wouldn't use that one. It'll kink, it's too flimsy. And what he said to me was, you don't have the log secured right. You You need to listen to me. I was being lazy, and I just put two logs on the outside, put the bigger one in the middle, and was cutting it that way. My dad said, I wouldn't do that. It's unstable. Of course, my dad knew absolutely nothing. And so I just kept cutting. And about eight seconds later, I almost took off my kneecap. It rolled off. It dragged the saw across my knee and I'll never forget, my dad turned around and he said, look what you've done. (laughs) My mother came out and said, I don't know how to sew this. Get in the car. We're going to the hospital. And I have a nice scar across the top of my left knee that always reminds me dad was right (laughs) and I was wrong. Listen, when it comes to your spiritual life, Jesus knows. And if he says the narrow road leads to life, it does. He knows. And the broad one, which you can just saunter along on without ever thinking, leads to destruction. It's the first of many warnings at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, listen, what I want to do is challenge all of us to be thoughtful, to be prayerful, and consider which path we're on. Are you on the broad path? The narrow path. Men, I'm going to ask that you would stand as we close. If anyone blows out a hamstring from getting up and down, we have an athletic trainer who will come help you at the end of the service. We have a few of them, actually, at City Church. Men, if we could take a moment and close our eyes in God's presence again. There's something about Jesus. There's something about his teaching. There's something about the Sermon on the Mount that I know oftentimes confronts us men. Jesus knew that it would. My question to you is which path are you on? You know. I would encourage you to believe Jesus and to trust him that the narrow path is one that leads to life. It may come with some persecution. It may come with some pressure. But Jesus promises you it is worth it in the end. It is so worth it. So, men, I don't know where you're at with Jesus. But in the golden rule... And in the challenges to which road we're on, I hear the love of God through Jesus for me and for you. Would you take a moment to reaffirm and confirm that you're on the narrow path? And if you're not, and you're on the broad path, I pray that you would make the life-altering decision in this moment to step onto the narrow path and to follow Jesus.